Hello, everyone. My guest today is award-winning magazine ad man, our own little Don Draper, Jay Carter. He spent a career in medical advertising and serving. Some might think the two were mutually exclusive. We talk about his job and his journey, the ethics of medical prescription drug pricing, and his broad recognition in the field, including a 2018 Alumni of the Year from University of Michigan Pharmacy School and 2022 winner of a Pinnacle and a Manny both indicating person of the year in the field. Jay's one of the best guys I know and one of the most annoyingly humble guys also. So when he starts to drone on and deflect instead of bragging, which is actually just telling the truth, I inject a little random Benny Hill in the background or some other little zany sound effect. He shares the fascinating story, the adoption of his youngest, the origins and costs of Viagra, and how he was one of the first people ever, maybe the first person, to try online dating on love at AOL. That later devolved into Match.com and how he met, some say trapped, his wife there. He tells us about his massive wine collection and involvement in and appreciation of the Girl Scouts of America. So sit down, strap in, turn on and turn up this medically relevant episode of Tony on the Mic. Our story begins as these stories often do. Now, the sound isn't as great on these as it is in studio, but I'm sure your charisma will more than make up. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, Listen to a story about a man named Jed. I, mean, I'm sh- I didn't have a crisis of faith. I just... Yeah, it's a better story if you have a crisis of faith. It's a horny, uh, horny youth. Yeah. Who lives, who dies, who tells your story. Because I wasn't going to work in a profession where people died. Let me tell you, in advertising, nobody dies, you know? Another story, story, story. That one was just sad. And you said she... You hope she drives her car into, and I quote, a gasoline truck? Yeah, yeah, I think I think that <laughs> translation was garbled. Okay. Don Draper meets Martin Shkreli. And, uh, <laughs> I have to say, that's the most amazing story I ever heard. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you listen to this fine podcast product. My name is Tony Lawrence, and this is Tony on the mic today. My guest is a hybrid, a legend. Don Draper meets Martin Shkreli. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jay Carter. Say hello to the folks, Jay. Hey there. Good evening, afternoon, morning, whatever you are imbibing this fine podcast. So you, um, you are in pharmaceutical advertising. Would that be an adequate short summary? That is a correct statement. A 90% of our business is pharmaceuticals. The rest is healthcare. Okay. We don't so, pay on healthcare at all. And you're not, are you a pharmacist? I was trained as a pharmacist. I don't have a license anymore. Okay. There, there's just no way that I would uh, endanger a patient uh, by going back to work at this point. <laughs> But you do have a background in pharmacy. Do you, how, uh, do you think most most of the reps? Do you think have most of the sales force? Do you think that comes from pharmacy no, or sales? It's, it's still pretty uncommon. There was for a while a company, Eli Lilly, that hired mostly pharmacists, but uh, the profession pays pretty well. The best things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. And it's tough to really recruit entire sales forces for it and even my industry which has a fair number of pharmacists in it still not rampant we we have three in a staff of 275 oh wow 
Wow. So your staff of 275, and it's, can you say the company? Do you, do you mind? I mean, sure. No, I don't mind it at all. It's called Eagleson Taylor. <clears throat> We're uh, uh, one of the larger privately held agencies. Uh, the agency business in the U.S. is um, mostly owned by networks uh, who own multiple agencies. Uh, but there's still room for the independence, and, and I, you know, my job is to prove that every day. Okay, well, I want to talk about your day-to-day stuff a little later, but I do want to talk about how we got to where we are. There so you let's, go. Uh, let's start with a baby born in uh, Michigan. Was it? Were you born in Berrien Springs? Well, there's there. Uh, I was born in St. Joseph, Michigan. That was the local hospital, but uh, I grew up entirely in Bering Springs. My parents both lived there. Uh, and so I got my start in Bering Springs. All right. And then that's also the home of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Is that where it was founded? How, how do uh, it wasn't founded there, but uh, kind of the, the first academic seat, Andrews University, is based here in Bering Springs. And uh, probably a third of the residents of the village are Seventh-day Adventist. And during school, uh, you know, the college has, you know, half the population. I'm not Seventh-day Adventist, uh, but I am incredibly grateful for the faith uh, and the folks that kind of brought a fair amount of prosperity and culture to our little town it's it's a special little town and i believe a lot of that is because of the members of the seventh day adventist church now my neighbors are seventh day adventist we we may have oh now do you have like a really big fence between you and them or is it cordial no No, i'm just kidding (laughs) he does uh, so uh my neighbor is a diplomat for a foreign country holy cow actually when he's here he's here infrequently but when he's here he has a bodyguard wow yeah but that has nothing to do with the church nothing to do with church at all has more to do with the government for whom he's the diplomat because we had on our block we had a seventh day now we had one seventh day adventist on our block and it was it was an oddity and it was it was weird it was underrepresented and being kids if you stick out you don't talk about it a lot so there was just a lot of hushed whispers and, and everything. And as I grew up and became more curious about different faiths and different things, I learned about it. And you, you can have pros and cons of every faith or denomination you want. That's not my interest. But uh, some of the cultures and, and traditions were, were very interesting to me. And, and again, the, school, the Church of Tony Lawrence, it's pretty simple. Have a good relationship with God. Treat everybody right then figure out the rest i mean you start amen, there amen. yeah start there everything else will fall into place and also muhammad ali yeah muhammad ali uh, grew up in lexington kentucky or louisville 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 louisville, louisville and, um and had always wanted to own a horse farm and so in the early part of 1976, he bought a horse farm just about a mile downriver from me. 
um, a spectacular property. It's 60 acres, all river fed. Uh, and uh, prior to him owning it, uh, one of the lieutenants of Al Capone actually owned it, had uh, put a fence across the entire top end of the 60 acres uh, wow. for defense. And, you know, Ali was wonderful for this community, really um, brought a lot of class. He was a wonderful human being, a wonderful contributor. Uh, The farm that he left uh, was a a working farm, had uh, a relatively small house on it. He built a guest house, sort of mirrored the main house across from a swing pool, put lovely outdoor patio furniture wait this is michigan sorry this is michigan yeah you guys have swimming pools swimming swimming pools in michigan you know tony it's like for six months you can use the swimming pool here maybe five okay yeah five sounds more like it i don't have one i have a lake behind me that you can swim in for three months that's funny though i just don't think of being in san diego i don't think pools in colder yeah. weather climates, that's, yeah. uh, we that's have right. convertibles too. C- wait, cars where the tops come down? Why? Do you get snowed on all? It's amazing. <laughs> uh, okay, high school. What high school did you go to? Barrian Springs. Barrian, Barrian Springs High School. What was your mascot? Fighting Shamrocks. Sham- no, the Shamrocks. Yeah. That's too good to be true. The Shamrocks, and you, uh, you lettered in football and track. That's correct. That's correct. And. Now, was your touchdown from the two-yard line story at Barron Springs High School? Yes, or should I say none? It's a lovely non? story. One of my classmates, Mike Gambling, was a backup running back. We were on the two-yard line, and uh, Mike got the ball, took it in for a touchdown, called back for an offsides penalty. We lined up again, second time, and Mike ran it in again, now from seven yards, holding penalty, called back. Oh, my goodness. Didn't score. So every day, Monday through Thursday, the following week, um, we had – you had to score within four downs. Uh, If you didn't, you ran a mile. If you did, the defense ran a mile. No one wins on those. No one no, wins. No, on no, those. that's a lose lose. <laughs> yeah. So from there, you were. Now, this was weird. You said you were a lesbian? Thespian. And you know what a thespian is, my friend. My Oh, an actor and a theater. I was an, I was an actor in our theater from kind of my sophomore year on. And uh, did several shows. Really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. There's a lot of camaraderie, especially in a small school. Theater groups are tight. Put on a show. Yeah. Uh, what was your favorite role that you played? Uh, I played uh, the lead, Sheridan Whiteside, in The Man Who Came to Dinner, an old 1930s yeah. uh, play by, I think, Kaufman. It, it was a movie. Um, yeah. There's there a role that Groucho Marx was in for it called Harpo in the, in the, uh, in the play. Uh, it was a big role. I enjoyed it. You know, nice. it was my ego trip, you know, in March of 1976. 
Now, did you ever give any thought to doing any more theater after that, or was that? No. You know, I was poorly informed and not the fine strategist that I am today. And <laughs> basically, a guy in my church was a pharmacist and drove a, a Datsun 280Z. And I said, boy, that's a nice car. I want to be a pharmacist. <laughs> and uh, oh, that, It sounds like a divine message that you got it, in the it church. Worked out, it, it worked out okay. It worked it out might, okay. It might have been the, um, the altar of the 280Z. It could have uh, been the altar. Well, it was an attractive vehicle. Oh, I that's a love and, the two eighties uh, back and, in the day. Uh, yeah. So that's funny. So that that kind of led me to pharmacy school, and I I loved what I learned. I really did. I just didn't want to practice. So when you were in high, this happened in high school, you said, or in college? High school is when I decided to go to go okay. to pharmacy school. Okay. And I knew I didn't want to be a doc. You know, right. all my friends are going be a doctor, be a doctor. It's like I don't want to be a doctor. You know. Yeah. Now you're also a man of, of strong faith. Yes. Um, were you as strong of faith? Like, did you take that sign of a 280Z by a guy in church when you're in your formative years trying to make a life decision as any sort of sign from God, or did you just like? No, it was it was pure hubris, <laughs> pure uh, jealousy, uh, anything but close to the cloth. For a very brief time, I did consider becoming a priest, but. Uh, you know, a vow of chastity at age 17. That's, was that's a tough one. For me. That's a tough one. <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, and as it turned out, I, you know, I sort of fell away from the church undergrad, <laughs> uh, went to Notre Dame. So, you know, I claimed like Catholic faith and upbringing, uh, but didn't go to church very much at Notre Dame either. So how did you pick Michigan? You went to Michigan before Notre Dame. Michigan was the best uh, undergraduate program in the state. And, um, and I knew that half the people that went in chose a different major while they were there. Right. And Michigan had more majors than everybody else. Hmm. But you went uh, into pharmacy and stayed, stayed the course. Stayed in pharmacy, five-year program, got my degree, got my license, began filling prescriptions the summer before uh, I went to grad school and worked every Friday while I was in grad school. We had Fridays off so our professors could consult. And uh, that worked out well, worked out well for me. Then Notre Dame, now I have to say, I, I assumed Notre Dame knowing you now that you chose that for some sort of religious reasons. Is that not the case? It sounds like uh, you're having yeah. a crisis of faith at the time. No, I was not having a crisis of faith. I knew that Notre Dame was a preeminent Catholic school. I didn't know it was the preeminent Catholic school right. in the U.S. And you probably have a few listeners who are bristling right now if they went to Georgetown or something like that. <laughs> um, but uh, no, it, it was it was more pragmatic. Everybody's advice in choosing a graduate school is don't, don't go to the same school you did your undergrad because it looks like you just want to stay in school and a small secret. I just wanted to stay in school. I didn't want to go to work yet. Um, and, uh, and so my choices were Michigan state, Notre Dame in both places. I could practice pharmacy in Michigan. Notre Dame is only four miles from the state line to Michigan. Is that uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I knew that because, you know, it is 
30 minutes from my house right now because I live in my hometown. And, uh, and so it was very pragmatic. Notre Dame was the best school that I got into and I was delighted to do it. <clears throat> and it was great. It was a wonderful experience. Now, let me, uh, let me just poke a little at this and see if anything comes of it. You, when you say you, you fell away from the church, was that just teenage life, young boy going through puberty, deciding to do more fun things than church? Or did you have an actual, I didn't have a crisis of faith. I just, yeah, it's a better story. If you have a crisis, a horny, uh, horny youth, <laughs> you know, and, and honestly, I didn't become a man of faith until I was 35 going through a divorce. Oh, wow. And, and that's what I did it. You prayed to keep all your stuff and. No, no I prayed to keep my sanity and, and, and I managed to keep that. Hey, that's good news. Okay. So here you are freshly graduated from Notre Dame. Yeah. And at how old were you married? Were you when you got married the first time? Oh, th this is years later. So graduated from Notre Dame, okay. a year of pharmaceutical sales in beautiful Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, I, I chose Kalamazoo because uh, a woman that I thought I wanted to marry lived there. Uh, that turned out not to be the case. Huh. Um, and roughly eight months after I moved there, uh, I got a letter from a a medical advertising agency in New York saying, you know, I'm looking for a pharmacist with an MBA uh, and are you interested? And, you know, I was certainly interested. Uh, this never happens. I probably hired a thousand people in my career and uh, I got the letter. The letter came to my dad's house on Tuesday. I heard Tuesday night called Wednesday, flew out Thursday interviewed Friday and was offered the job on Friday. Wow. Uh, just doesn't happen. And it was a big move. You know, I mean, uh, I'm a kid who grew up in a small town, went to a dorm with 1200 people in it, uh, moving to North Jersey and going to work in Manhattan every day. Wow. That'd be kind of cool. It was great for a 26 year old. That's, yeah. That was, uh, yes. Let me. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that clarity, because there's no way I want to do it now. Yeah, I'm, I'm going back tomorrow for uh, a conference that's happening Wednesday, and I'm not remotely looking forward to it. <laughs> now, I I stand with you on that. I think that, that trips to New York and up in Las Vegas, and there's a lot of places that are just better suited for young men. Let's uh, Unquestionably. Let's leave, it, let's leave it at that. And Manhattan in 1984 was definitely oh. one of those places. Yes, yes. Manhattan in 1984. Yikes. Uh, but not like your next-door neighbor, the bodyguard. Is not your bodyguard my, armed? Can I come and try and sneak on his possess on his property? I will not be responsible for your safety. Let's put it that way. <laughs> You're more than welcome to visit, Tony. <laughs> We, we actually, when Shanda sees this and sees the backdrop, we may uh, we may be planning a trip. That's great. It have to be I in the summer. House and everything. You're more. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to be cold at all. So you, you got married and had how many kids? So uh, I got married uh, in '93. Uh, it. I I I have three stepchildren from that marriage. They were okay. 17, 15, and 10 when I married my ex. It 
was not a marriage that was meant to be. We were divorced by 95. Oh, wow. But the best thing that ever happened was my relationship with those children, which is still good. Oh, that is awesome. Then you met. So let's see, that was 95. You said you were divorced. And I did not date for six years after that. Wow. And And I threw myself into my job, which went great. I bought uh my house here in Michigan, which no one else can see the backdrop, but it's a a lovely little lake Um, and kind of focused on work, focused on growing, worked well. And uh, love at AOL happened in August of 2001. I met Rhonda. Okay, wait. <clears throat> love at AOL. That was the very, very early days of like Match.com. Yeah. That uh, is Match.com now. Oh, it is. Okay, so that turned into Match. But it was the early days, very early days of very computer early. dating. Very early days. Now, uh, you put out yourself. Did you just put like dollar signs and then she called you? Is that how it worked? No. Yeah. (laughs) What really happened, which is kind of sad is, you know, I, nobody says, well, I don't know who lies and who doesn't lie. I just said that I made a comfortable living, nothing more. Okay. Um, And, uh, and I had 13 dates before I met Rhonda. On love at AOL? On Love at AOL. Okay. And all of them were in Chicago. So I spent my entire summer of 2001 rather than at, at the lake in Chicago. And, uh, and there were some, you're nice, but I don't feel an attraction to spark, sure. a couple of nightmares. Oh. Including a, a woman who... Um, we're, we're still having dinner. We haven't gotten through the entree yet. And I'd explained that I'm pretty religious. And she goes, well, you know, God told me I'm supposed to have your son. Do. Yeah. That, Dude, that's out of an Eddie Murphy movie. <clears throat> yeah. Well, it was real life. And, what, and she uh, was serious. I I don't know, Tony. She could have been, you know, taking hallucinogens for all I know. Wow. But but she did say it, and I did shortly afterwards say Jack. Yeah, no doubt. Got the well, heck out. I meant to tell you, Jay, that God told me I'm supposed to have your son. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll work on that from a reproductive <laughs> aspect. It's my guess, my guess today has been Jay. <laughs> It's pretty, I think that, you know, a pretty good gene surgeon might be able to make that work, but we'll, we'll see how that all works. Um, so to impress a youngish Rhonda, you, uh, splurged and took her to the five-star restaurant El Rodeo. That's exactly right. She, this, uh, it's a funny story. We had dinner at El Rodeo tonight, as a matter of fact. Oh, wow. Yeah, it is. It remains her favorite restaurant. And you know, I was trying to show off a little bit and I said, you know, I'll take you to whatever restaurant you want, you know, and I mentioned a couple of the more prominent restaurants here in Southwestern Michigan and, uh, and she's not interested. And so I go, well, what's your favorite restaurant? That's easy. El Rodeo. And El Rodeo has very good food, but it's a little bit of a hole in the wall. It's a little bit of a dive. So let me, um, what was, what was the dinner check you think that first night for two people and drinks? We each only had one drink. Uh, 
50 bucks max. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I you mean, didn't, 20 you didn't years want later, 20 years later, we had dinner with two friends and it was 126. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so you weren't flashing your, uh, your wad at dinner to say, look at me. No, no, no platinum card was shown. No. <laughs> On the second date, you flexed a little bit and showed her your impressive wine cellar. Yes, no, that's that is actually one of my favorite stories and one of the reasons why I married her. So when I became affluent uh, after the divorce, I bought a lot of wine, like 800 bottles of wine. Holy cow. Yeah, I assure you, unless you own a restaurant or a winery, you don't need 800 bottles of wine. And yet... I had 800 bottles of wine. Did you just like yeah. buy them one at a time? Did you buy them in lots? Did you buy them in cases? No, I, I, had a, I had a wine broker and I'd buy four and five cases at a time for a while. Because wow. I wanted a collection and I had this dream that somebody would say, you know, I just love a 97 Del Dotto. And I could go downstairs, pull it out and bring it up. And it's that's... a wonderful feeling, but it's happened twice to me in my life. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, that's a that's a baller move if, if it all comes into fruition. But yeah, you're, doesn't you're happen saying, much. Yeah, that's a tightrope. No. That's a that's a fine but line. She sees, she sees the wine and she goes, that's a lot of wine. Do you have a drinking problem? Reasonable question. It, 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 and, you know, honestly, that's one of the reasons why I love her is because she's so direct and so straightforward. And, you know, I thought about it. I said, no, I don't have a drinking problem, but I probably have a buying problem. Uh, and uh, so the deal we made after we got engaged, which we agreed to wait a while, you know, we'd both been divorced, uh, was I don't buy any wine without her approval. That's a great building block. That's a great rule. Well, mostly I haven't bought wine without her approval. I won't say. How many bottles of wine do you have now? We're down to about 500. Well, you better better shore up the reserves. It sounds like you're getting. Yeah, no, uh, that's not happening, buddy. That's not happening. So now, just out of curiosity, and I, I don't drink wine at all, so this is going to be a completely un, uneducated question. Has anybody said, "Hey, do you have a '96 dot dot dot"? And you're like, "Oh, I got a '98," or you know, like, has there ever been a close call where you have an? No, almost? it's never. It's never been like that. And people usually understand that. But I've had people ask specifically for a Heights Bella Oaks or specifically for a Del Dotto, and had it, and and had you know, '97 is a great vintage, and a lot of what I collected is '97s because okay. I bought it all at once. Wow, that's a world that I have no it's okay. inkling into. I wish I didn't have that inkling. <laughs> um, well, also, it sounds like you've put away about 300 bottles of wine in the last yeah. like, amount of so, years. <laughs> well, Tony, uh, you are invited to both of our summer parties, which I will not mention dates or addresses. Oh, I'll put it on the, I'll have it on the podcast. But, uh, but we we typically will go through you know two or three cases of wine for those. Oh, all right, we can get a little uh, band, provide some music. I'll and, sing. You know, if if you can get a band together, I'd be grateful. I probably could raise a couple other people up. Oh, all right. Let's see what we can do. Let's uh, let's let's put a serious pin in that, not just the there proverbial. We'll talk about it later because that sounds like fun. Okay. Uh, okay. So then you two adopted your biological niece 
That's correct. So this this goes forward a couple of years, but essentially Rhonda's brother uh, had a couple of felony arrests and uh, went to, um, this is completely true story. He and a friend went from Grand Rapids to New York to be on Queen Latifah's show, Skinheads and the Women Who Love Them. And his what? friend fell in lust with a waitress from Athens, Alabama, and decided to move to Athens. And my brother-in-law decided to go with him. He had learned to be a short order cook. He went to work in a waffle house. A waitress there was his dealer. And through that, he met her 17, 18 year old daughter. They made a baby. That baby is my daughter. Holy cow. Yeah. So she's 19. She lives with you and she is graduating. No, no she, she is uh, off on her own. She's okay. working full time. She's going to school. She just bought a new car. We, we co-signed for her because uh, I want her to have good credit, but I, I'm pretty happy with what she's doing right now. Excellent. Excellent. Well, you know, and again, I'm outside and if she listens, I don't want this to sound judgmental at all, but it sounds like she could have done a lot worse. That could have, uh, Oh, she's I'm, I'm delighted with her. Okay. That could've, that could've I hope she into, listens cause I'm delighted with her. Yeah. That could have turned into a really bad situation. Yeah. Um, you don't, you don't know Rhonda yet. You've met Rhonda, but you don't know Rhonda cause oh, okay. that was not going to happen. Okay, Good. That's good to hear. Uh, now she was in the Girl Scouts. I know you, you mentioned that you support the Girl Scouts. Yeah. What was the uh, yeah. so um, as soon as we got custody of her, she was seven year old, seven years old at the time. First thing Rhonda did was get her into Girl Scouting. Rhonda became a, a troop leader within a year, and uh, I really liked what was happening with her. So I reached out to the local. Um, uh, the local group, uh, the CEO, and said, look, you know, I've been on a couple of boards. I'd be happy to help in any way I can. They asked us to, they asked me to join the board. I spent six years on the board. Wow. Um, an extra year after Billy got out of high school and my six years was up and uh, I did not want to go on a 10 year track and become the CEO at age 70. Uh, <laughs> right. So Good. So I, I am now no longer, I mean, we still find, we will financially support the Girl Scouts oh, of Northern Indiana, Michiana until we die. And probably after our death, it, there, there is a small clause. Nice. So. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Right. Smaller than the clause for your podcast launch to fame though. That's let's make sure we have yeah, those. I, I, uh, Tony on the mic. I, and I, I will have to <laughs> amend my will, obviously. Well, obviously. obviously. Okay, actually, that's going to wrap up our first segment that brought us to uh, to why we're going to talk to you. You received some. Uh, oh shoot, stumbling. I can edit. See, I'll edit all this out. You'll never hear it. Okay. Um, you were, oh, This is on. not you, my first rodeo, my friend. Okay, <laughs> you you received quite a bit of acclaim as of late, and we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about the. Trials and tribulations and daily activities of a pharmaceutical advertising man of the year, Jay Carter. There you go. How's that? That's better. 
Okay. We say person of the year, but you know, we're politically correct. I am not. So that's all good. You are a man. I am male. <laughs> I am woman. Hear me roar in numbers too big to ignore. And I know too much to go back and pretend. And we are back for segment two. We're going to talk about your business a little bit, what you do, uh, some recognition you've received. Uh, let's see. So now, do you have like a go-to product that you sell? Do you have a list of products that you at create advertisements for? How does what do you do on a daily yeah. basis when you go to sure. work? Sure. So, I guess I need to explain a little bit about the industry. I think everybody knows about advertising from Mad Men and Bewitched, but uh, <laughs> oh, good pull! It's a Darren, good pull, Darren. I'm I'm of that age, you know. Uh, but you know, advertising is, uh, has evolved over the years, uh, away from just pure broadcast television, uh, to a very digital, very individually targeted communications and the pharmaceutical industry is even more, uh, carefully managed. And the reason for that is, is that, you know, we're a regulated industry and everything we say, has to be true, has to be fair balanced. And, and, and there's a fair amount of rules to go with that. So my pharmacy background really helped me be successful at learning the various drugs we work with. It's very personalized in terms of what each company might use, but essentially it breaks down to messages and media that you deliver to physicians in order to persuade them to use the product. Do you, prim- a, do you primarily cultivate doctors or patients, do you think? You know, in the old days, it was much more physician-driven because it was primary care physicians. Today, most of the promotion is in specialties. So specialist physicians. <laughs> and then one of the great growth areas for the industry is rare disease, where, you know, you could spend four or 500,000 a year on a drug for a rare disease, which makes promoting to those patients in order to get them to join your product to be more, much more lucrative. And 40% of my business is to patient and 60% is to physicians. So when you say you could spend four or 500,000, that's a, that's a hot button right now. The, the profit versus people, model. Let's talk about that for a minute. And I'm going to, I'm going to push back on whatever you say. So it's all good. It's Um, all good. I'll have you think about it this way. Okay. A kid who's born with hemophilia B needs to spend four or 500,000 a year in order to be protected so that they can live to adulthood. Okay. That's real. I, I promise you that's the truth. Now, now, and I believe you, but and there's number, and there's huge competition. If somebody thought that they could cut the price by fifty thousand and get more business, they would. Doesn't so there, there are multiple drugs or treatments for that condition, and they're all in the same price family, and it's not price fixing. Is it? Are you think people are selling it as cheap as they can and still make a profit? And then, well, how would these you? These aren't really drugs; they're blood factors that you have to harvest from human plasma. Oh my. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So could I sell mine for 400,000? I'll, you can have some 
You could harvest some of my plasma. I mean, actually, what we do is ask people to donate their plasma. There's always a, a fee associated with it. Uh, a person you know in our fantasy baseball league helped pay for college by donating regularly to one of the plasma banks. Really? Yes. That, I, donate that, to, I donate to the Red Cross. And I, don't, I get a T-shirt every now and then. Well, you, they're generally using the blood as whole blood as opposed to fractionating it off. No, I'm just saying that if I can turn this into a, a profit vehicle. It would be uh, a small profit, my friend. Oh, I want to pay to, for college. Yeah. How, well, how I, it really <laughs> just paid for this individual's beer. Oh. <laughs> well, depending on the individual in our league, that could be a tidy sum. It is, it is the individual you're probably thinking of. <laughs> what kind of what kind of budget do you have? What kind of schmoozing budget? If I was a doctor and I came to Berry and Springs, take me out to big dinner and buy me steak and lobster, and how, how does that work? Yeah, honestly, it's nothing like that now, and frankly, it's viewed as uh, unethical. So, first of all, I don't talk to doctors. I create tools for a pharmaceutical company, and then their reps do it. Okay. 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 So I don't do. So you come up with the platform and they just present it. You come up with the the sales deck. Is that what they call it? Yeah. Well, they call it a bunch of different things. Let's say Viagra. Yeah. Generic. Generic Viagra. That's the tab. Okay. And how much is Viagra Viagra? 14. Or it was. I don't know what it is anymore. Don't don't pretend. Come on. Well, you probably just get it for free, huh? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm I'm really sorry that this is only audio and they couldn't see my head go down shaking it. Uh, I think people know enough about the audio that they kind of knew what was coming. When we started talking about pharmacies. That to me is a optional drug, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, I, I don't think anybody needs that per se to live. Um, well, if you have pulmonary hypertension, you do. And then you'll take a very high dose. Really? Yeah. Viagra was originally developed for a cardiac condition. And it didn't work so well for that condition. So they recalled the medicine. And they noted that none of the men returned it. (laughs) They stumbled upon the the byproduct was a... I mean, I don't... That's the story that I've heard. Okay. I, I don't know for certain... Let's put Viagra in a, in a family. And again, not, I would, I have to imagine the vast majority of Viagra sales are not for blood pressure or whatever that other thing was, no, right? No. And okay. when it was still a branded drug, some plans would pay for six tabs a month. Some wouldn't. About half the sales were cash sales. Uh, and it sold well. It didn't sell supremely well, but it sold well. As opposed to Lipitor, which saves your life, stops you from having heart attacks, and has proven to actually save your life. Now, Lipitor uh, is... 10 billion. Is that it's Crestor? For, not for lipids. No, Crestor competed. Oh, so they're, but they're the same... They're the same class of drug. It's called right. a statin. Okay. And and how many of those would sell in a given period? Million? You said 10 million? 20 billion. Wow. Now, now remember, all that's generic now. Right. You know, and that's the thing you got to remember about the drug industry. 17 years later, there's nothing. It is all gone. 
So 17 years is the window to sell, to capitalize on a drug patent. Exactly. And remember that many of those years are spent getting it approved. So from the day I introduce a patent, well, apply for a patent, yeah. patent's granted, yeah. then I have to get it approved. Or can I get it approved? Call yeah, it so six seven, years. So 17 years. So 10 years, let's say, of a, of a robust sales that's period. A good, that's a good estimate, yeah. Okay. Now, so the Skrillexes of the world, Skrillies of the world, what's his name? Do you remember? Skrilly? Martin Skrilly. Martin yeah. Skrilly. Now, so he bought a company in order to get a drug that was the drug of choice for a, a side effect of HIV. Okay. Okay. And I'll be honest with you, Tony, the drug was underpriced. It was priced at, I don't know, four bucks a day or something like that. And remember, it's the very best drug you can take. Now, when you say that under- rare condition underpriced in terms of demand or in terms of profit margin when you say underpriced in terms of what people would be willing to pay even if we're cash so market yeah if you were to ask a uh an expert in health economics and there are many they would have priced it at 40 or 50 bucks a day okay all right and And he raised the price from four to four hundred now that seems like a lot to me. It was profiteering. It was. Okay. What was the reaction in the pharmaceutical sales world? Was everybody like, yeah, let's see if you can get this much? Or was it you? No, no. I think that in general, people thought that he was a disgrace to the profession. Okay. You got to remember at the end of the day, virtually everybody that works in the industry is into the industry because we can really make a difference and help people's lives. Yeah. You know, I, I'm working on a drug right now. It's a cell therapy for hemophilia B, and it it is possible. It's not proven yet, but it could cure hemophilia B. So when you factor in and create a price base for that, you factor in your 10-year selling window, give or take. Yeah, you got to figure in cost too for a cell therapy. You got to figure right. out got to figure out what you'd spend otherwise. And I'm not going to get into that because we haven't formalized the pricing yet. But I can tell you that um, recently, a cell therapy for beta thalassemia priced itself at 2.1 million. And um, a couple of different governing bodies who look at price, including, I believe, the European group, which is called ICER, said that was a fair price for it. 2.1 2.1 million for to get a drug that would prevent you from having beta thalassemia again. Beta thalassemia so, is a terrible blood disease that yeah, is. I don't, I don't have 2.1 million dollars. So if I have this disease, then what? Well, so for instance, governments would pay for it in Europe. Uh, pharmacy benefit managers would pay for it if you have health insurance. If you don't have health insurance, pharmaceutical companies have set up ways to get financial help. So benefit managers. So the way that most uh, health insurance works today is that uh, part of that is a pharmacy benefit management company that figures out and negotiates with drug companies in order to get a good price. And uh, while you don't necessarily see it, there's an enormous amount of price competition out there.
And it's because the managed care organizations are very good at negotiating. Okay, you've acknowledged that Shkreliya was a creep and profiteering. It was totally an anomaly. Yeah, and and I, I agree with that. So you do agree that there's a point. Do you think we push against that point or do you think we comfortably stay below that point as an, as an industry, as your industry? Well, rec- so first of all, one of my side jobs is I chair the Coalition for Healthcare Communications, which is a coalition of medical advertising agencies who uh, seek to be educated and seek to educate uh, legislators on any laws that don't make sense and might harm our industry uh, indiscriminately. Uh, And because of that, we're aware of what's what's going on with pricing. Today, right now, there is a push for a bipartisan approach to limit pricing for pharmaceuticals. And it's pretty smartly written and it might work. And it might also uh, limit the ability of pharmaceutical companies to continue to develop new drugs. And that's bad, right? uh, Yes, yes. How much of the development do you think is funded and subsidized by government grants? Uh, So all that's the early stuff, Tony. The actual development of the drug is basically all done by the pharmaceutical companies at their risk. One exception, critically important exception, something I'd like to see done more widely is uh, Project Warp Speed, where the federal government bought tens of millions of doses of COVID vaccine before it was developed and approved. They basically took away the risk of developing a vaccine quickly by yes. paying for it. And if the if the vaccines had failed, they still would have been paid for those vaccines. Right, right. right? Brilliant. Uh, I agree. And, and Bill Gates just wrote an editorial, I think for the New York Times, but possibly the Wall Street Journal in the last month. Uh, and Mr. Gates said, you know, we got to keep doing this. We need to find where the next pandemic risk is and develop vaccines for it. And I agree with that 100%, but there's one other risk. Um, you know, we haven't really come up with any new antibiotics in 10 years. And it's because a pharmaceutical com- company can't make enough money to pay for the development of the drug. And so we get a superbug, it's game yeah. over. Uh, And so I'm not saying that they should protect us. I'm saying that instead they should protect the U.S. population by buying a supply of promising antibiotics. See, and I think I really think that's a common sense solution that that we could if we if we let go of our dogma, uh, our political dogma and our different things. And, you know, I don't think you have to be a communist to think everyone should get, have access to a vaccine, you know, I mean, or an, or an antibiotic, you know, to, to say, Hey, the government is going to supply every man, woman, and child with four doses of antibiotic X and, you know, and, and they wouldn't need to do that much. My friend, they need a couple hundred thousand doses to stem it quick. And that's enough money for the company to get the drug approved. And if they can sell it without a lot of cost to develop it, 
they can still make a living. Right. And I, and I, I just have to believe that if we can get greed, I'm going to say for lack of a better word and self politics out of the equation, I think we can, we can, I don't begrudge Bill Gates or, or Elon Musk or, uh, you know, I, I hope they treat their employees well, but they came up with something that, you know, so same with same with the COVID developers and things like that. I don't have a problem with people making money. I'm not against yeah. people no, making you're, money. You're, you're against profiteering. And, yes. and honestly, so am I, Tony. Uh, you yeah. know, uh, it, this is one of my personal stands. I, I worked on an antibiotic that's really good that effectively died because they couldn't get enough funding to get the final FDA approval. And I think it would have been good for humanity if the US government had bought a couple hundred thousand doses in advance so that they cover the cost of development, not cost of anything more than that. Right. Just development so that it was available and stockpiled by the Fed. And we could move swiftly to attack different things. Yep. Interesting. Super Interesting. Be afraid. Well, Be very afraid. I, I keep hearing that. And luckily, I have the immune system of a superhero. Good. So I'm, uh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good to go. Good. The rest of you, the rest of you mortals may be in trouble. But <laughs> I've had four doses of vaccine, and when it's time to get another one, I will. So you, being the swell guy that you are. 2018 was recognized by the University of Michigan College of Pharmacy as the Distinguished Alumnus and Lifetime Achievement Award. That, what did you do? Accurate. What did you do to pray I, tell to deserve that? I don't that? know what the hell I did, Tony. I'm still in shock, but I, I'm I'm delighted that they had that minor lapse of judgment and chose me. I <laughs> you mean, bought a wing. You bought a wing to the museum to the school. Is that how oh, you got no. it? Oh no, I mean so. <laughs> Rhonda and I are, are donors, not substantial donors. Right. Um, and I had met people at the college because of that. I got this weird request a couple months before for my, uh, my curriculum vitae, you know, yeah. kind of what I'd done. And, and what they said was kind of the things that we've talked about. You know, I've been a mentor to a bunch of people in the industry. I used my pharmacy degree in a way that's atypical to the profession. And, and I think they want people to know that the degree is useful beyond just clinical yeah. practice. Right. I supported other measures that were important to me, like the Girl Scouts. And, I, you know, I'm grateful to the college. Uh, they just announced... The 2022 winners, one is the uh, dean of the pharmacy school at the University of Minnesota, but she was in my class in pharmacy school. Oh, wow. And, uh, and the other was two years behind me and was the founder of another medical advertising agency. So, you know, uh, I'm delighted uh, that, you know, I was honored. Uh, I, I hope that I honor the profession. I most days I think I did, you know, <laughs> so, but why, why I was chosen over somebody else, I, I don't know. And, um, you are annoyingly it, humble. I, well, I was just going to say, I don't think I'm particularly <laughs> humble. It's just that, you know, I can't, 
picture and honor like that and was just dumbfounded when it was bestowed upon me. Just that a bigger, bigger or smaller honor. And I, I don't want to slight one, but you got a Manny. Yeah. Just Manny so, being Manny. Not just any old man. I've won a lot of Mannies, my friend. Oh, really? So, yeah, we've been agency of the year several times. We. Uh, but that's we. This is me. Right. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. Let's, I, let's, I, I was named I and Manny. I was named the industry person of the year for the medical advertising industry and got that award two weeks ago, a little, little less than two weeks ago, um, in New York uh, by MedEd News. Uh, deep thanks to the publishers and editorial staff, the MedEd News. Again, it's one, I, I was unaware that I was nominated. Nobody told me that they nominated me. And so literally, it was the first nice day in March. I had just gotten done taking my Corvette out for the first time and it ran, which is incredibly always, infrequent. Always a bonus. Shout out to all the Corvette owners. You know that I'm speaking truth. <laughs> um, and uh, and I just got home, got out of the car. My phone rings. It's, it's the publisher of the magazine. And he told me that we were up for an award that was good. And they said, wanted to talk to you about industry person of the year. And it's like, okay. I said, well, we'd like to make you industry person of the year. And it's like, no idea. I mean, I, I was, wow. I, you know, I walked across the street to our house. Rhonda was gone. I got on the phone. I called her. She was busy. She told me to call her later. <laughs> Normal marriage. Of course. Um, you know, I called my boss and, he acted surprised, uh, but uh, but yeah, and and uh, I am delighted. Uh, it's uh, it's a signature honor. It's ACDC. What t-shirt did you wear? Uh, I wore a Kiss t-shirt. Kiss, Kiss. Okay, yeah. I, I was uh, the guys awarding it was you know tied up and with tie and jacket and everything, and you roll up in a Kiss t-shirt, which I thought was a again power move. Strong. You have to understand that, you know, my personal brand for the last 20 years in the industry is I go to ind industry events in a rock and roll t-shirt and a blazer. Nice. And, uh, and so we're going tomorrow, Rhonda and I, to New York on Wednesday, I will receive a pinnacle award, which is uh, another award by a competing magazine, Medical Marketing and Media. And I will wear my Michael Stanley uh, Michael Stanley Band t-shirt because the uh, editor-in-chief of that magazine is a newly minted Michael Stanley Band fan so excellent excellent that's uh that's what I'm talking about so let's see how when we met I think I want to take credit I think I was the first person to call you a bible thumping pharmaceutical salesman yes, or something you like were that. definitely the first one <laughs> And I'm, I'm and this is that. shortly after I became a Christian. So, you know, what, 98, something like that. Like that yeah. The, so it's the like timing. three years after, you know, yeah. it was, it was new. And, and I fear that, you know, I have learned that the best way to evangelize is not to thump the Bible, but to live a life. Yes. That makes one a want an habit. Um, and so I don't thump many Bibles anymore. But, uh, <laughs> But but that was the case at the time. Yeah, no, that was and uh and even then, it, I think it's important and not trying to blow smoke up your skirt, but 
I think people can tell sincerity most of the time. I think people can tell, and I, and you are, you're a sincere dude. I mean, you are a legit quality human being with a big heart and a true relationship with God that you believe is a foundation for a lot of your actions. I say that without hesitation. And I, 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 I fully agree. There's nothing to be proud about that. I mean, the, the way that I like to put it, and I will evangelize only a very little bit. Uh, I knew it was coming. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, you know, take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. The only time that the Lord of the universe described himself in the scripture was in that sentence. I am gentle and humble of heart. Very nice. Very nice. My dad probably knew that. He's. He I'm was, sure your dad knew that. Yeah, he was a minister. I am certain your dad knew that. But me, eh. Uh. <laughs> Look it up, Matthew eleven twenty eight. I will absolutely look it up. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness. For he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. Full disclosure for any fact checkers out there, that's not actually a real Bible verse. That's from Pulp Fiction. So uh, you get the Pinnacle Award. Is this some culmination did anything specific happen or do you yeah so you know how there's 30 under 30 and 40 under 40 right well this is sort of a corollary except you don't want 50 people and it and the way it's written is it's about people that have been active in the business for the last three decades and continue to make a contribution nice and uh and the agency was kind enough to nominate me this year last year uh my boss dale taylor ceo of abelson taylor recommended and and began and began our tradition and uh mmnm was kind enough to name me this year and and i'm excited i mean i'm i'm very excited about it heck yeah you should be so when you say you won plenty of manny's um do you do you get a statue do you get a plaque i mean what is it yeah you get a physical something. Oh, he's reaching folks on the desk and he's holding it up. Beautiful. All right. You need Thanks to send me, a, you need to send me a picture of you I'll holding you at picture. least one Manny. Uh, um, well, uh, yeah, I'll be in the office tomorrow. I could probably score a couple others. Yeah. Um, so I want to do that for the, but I'm not taking this to the office. It stays home. It's no, mine. that's your, that's your, that's not a team. Manny. That's your man. Still sits next to me. It, it will eventually move somewhere else. <laughs> It's now, do you, do you get something okay. similar for the pinnacle? Yeah, I'll get it. Uh, I don't know what it looks like, right. um, but I'll, I'll get an award for the pinnacle as well. Not, and that's tomorrow, you said? Uh, day after tomorrow. Day after tomorrow. All right. Well, I'm probably going to be ready to go to go to press in a couple of days. So if you think you with a, a Manny in one hand and a pinnacle in the other would make a better picture, we can do that. Or Let, a me, see what I can do. Let yeah. me see what I can do. It'll be, uh, won't be before Friday then if you want okay. both Okay. Um, I, I don't need both. So we, we can play with that and decide. All right. That, uh, oh, actually, do you have a touchstone moment like in the industry where 
you feel like, okay, I can do this. I made it. I can, or excuse me. Did you feel like that when you, when you walked in, did you feel like you walked in? Oh, learning no. Doing this? Okay. no. So I'll give you uh, two milestones. Okay. Uh, the first one happened relatively early in my career. I, I think I moved to New York at 26, at 28. Uh, I'm launching a new oral contraceptive and the vice president of marketing for the drug company. So he had to have been 45 at the time, Tony, you know, I mean, and, uh, and we're in a meeting and he asked me what I think. And, you know, still very data driven. I go, well, this is what the data says. He goes, I didn't ask you that. I know. Uh-huh. Tell me what you think. And it was a huge affirmation. It reminded me that decisions get made by people and that they rely on other people. And, and that was a milestone. The other one is even a little more profound. And for that, I need a little bit of a backdrop. So my um, last semester of pharmacy school was split into, I think, five different three or four week rotations doing different things. And the first one was on an oncology floor in Ann Arbor. At the time, while the chemotherapy was administered in hospitals, it's since been moved to infusion clinics. But uh, I walked in first day, first rotation, brand new shoes, guy pukes on my new shoes. And it was because he had just gotten chemotherapy and makes you sick. Well, this gentleman reminded me a lot of my high school football coach. And uh, he had oat cell carcinoma, a terrible cancer today. It's a lung cancer. And somehow those, uh, those residents and fellows and, and attendings uh, in the cancer ward got him into remission. All right. And the, the tumor was shrinking. But something that you probably have heard is that chemotherapy kills white blood cells, which protect you from infection. And so he didn't have any white cells. He got a fungal infection and he died of pneumonia. And I made the mistake of falling in love with this guy. He, I, I cared for him. And uh, two days after that, I applied to go to Notre Dame because I wasn't going to work in a profession where people died. Let me tell you, in advertising, nobody dies, you know. So fast forward. 1995. And I'm working on a drug called Nupagen. Nupagen makes, tells your body to make more white blood cells. It was being sold at that time, kind of keep your patients out of the hospital and when we talked to leading edge oncologists, they said, no, that the way that you use Nupagen is after you give them chemotherapy so that they can get the full course of chemotherapy in them. In early stage breast cancer, they call it planned dose on time. If you deliver it, you've got a better chance of survival than if you don't. And so we came up with this brilliant campaign called Give Your Chemotherapy a Fighting Chance. In 1995, 14% of early stage breast patients got Nupagen. When we uh, started selling a better product in 2001, we had a 56 year. Buckle her shoes. 45,000 women get early stage breast cancer every year. I will buckle her shoes right now. 
I will there go to our house. Think, about, I'll, I'll, think uh, about how many women lived rather than died. You don't walk with your head any higher than in those moments. I bet, yeah. And I mean, you have that, that's the high point of my career, uh, truly the high point of my career professionally. Wow. Wow. You're making it hard to make a joke about that. It, I which, hope so. which, which You're is welcome to joke about my team, which right. is in last place. You're welcome to joke about uh, <laughs> where I choose to live, a small community, but you can't joke about saving no. women's lives. No, I had um, a couple of episodes ago, three or four episodes ago, I had uh, two sisters who had both had breast cancer and both had double mastectomies. And no. the first one going, talking about the, the sister going through it and then not, you know, being helpless, trying to help one. And then the second one saying, I've just gone through this and now she's going through it. And it was really an emotional, a really nice emotional story. And they both obviously survived and they're in remission and everything's great. And they, they were the best spirit ever. One of them said, you know, the best thing that came out of my breast cancer was I have new perky boobs better than I ever had before. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, and, so and, that's, uh, and, and it wasn't a cosmetic uh, approach. So medical therapy paid for it. Yes, that is correct. That is correct. Bless God bless those people at medical therapy. Well, let me, let me assure you, God bless plastic surgeons for what they do. Yeah. No, was, funny. You know, and it it's funny because you don't think until something smacks you in the face. When you think of plastic surgeons and boob jobs, you think Vanity Hollywood, yeah. you know, cougars looking for a younger man, blah, blah, blah. You think of all these things, you know, women looking for trophy husbands. And and then when you're faced with the, the facial reconstruction or the breast cancer reconstruction or different things, you really see it in a whole nother light. And I think, uh, I, I think a, a very fair and human light, which is, which is always good. I think it's always good when you can see change of perspective a little bit. All right. That's enough about pharmacy and medicine. No, no, no. We got one more short segment. No, you're not signing off. All yet. good. All and good. Then, uh, I'm, I'm still with you. Okay. We got a uh, getting hungry. I probably got to feed him a little while. One last, one last short segment, just about you Things you like, things you don't like, uh, things you prefer. And of course, when you go to the electric chair, how are you going out? That's the traditional end yeah, of the show. Yeah, that, that's, that's a fine one. We are back with Jay Carter, man of the year in most industry circles. Now we're just going to find out a little bit about him as we sign off. We do a little thing we call this or that, and we give you a couple things to choose from. You make a choice and you tell me why. Don't force anything. You know, if, if, if I say dogs or cats and you say, meh, you know, that's fine. We'll just move on. If I say chocolate or vanilla and you go vanilla, yeah, you know. <laughs> you won't but respect it, me, but cool. Right. It, it, but yeah, I was going to say, of course, you pick the white one. Um, that's an inside <laughs> joke, folks. <laughs> uh, although now our league is getting diversity. I'm not the only. You're not the only swirl flavored frozen yogurt in the league uh, there's another one it's funny because he said something about of course he was, selected a wife beater for his club so yes. you, know, you gotta wonder yeah and he, he said he wanted to establish his mulatto superiority in there you go. trade there you so, go. all right cool it's uh so it's on thomas if you're listening um okay so let's see daniel silva why, why Daniel Silva? Have you read most of his books? 
Uh, I think I've read every one of the Gabriel Alon, and it's like 18 now. Uh, so it is a he's a a spy novel author. He just has a really conversational style. You're instantly in it. You sort of know what's going to happen at the end, but the journey's still fun. So if I start my Daniel Silva journey, I should start with the Kill Artist. Yes. Okay, that will. I'm gonna. I'm actually absolutely gonna put that on my. Well worth it. It's well on worth my it. list. Bob Seeger versus Bruce Springsteen. Seeger. Seeger. And why Seeger? With a quick answer. So uh, you know, I went to school at the University of Michigan. Bob Seeger grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Oh. Bob Seeger got his start in the Detroit area, and my fraternity, Phi Sigma Kappa, at least the Delta Deuteron chapter in Ann Arbor. You had to swear fraternity and that you would love Bob Seeger forever. <laughs> That's and awesome. Every 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 fraternity party ended with Nutbush City Limits. <laughs> Greek or Italian? Lately, Greek. Uh, it's healthier. Uh, uh, I'm talking high-end Greek restaurants where you get fresh pot branzino from the Mediterranean. Uh, uh, the the thing that always sets them apart is spectacular vegetables. Um, you know, as opposed to Italian, which is wonderful and I love it, but there's a lot more carbs there. It's pasta dense, that's for sure. Now, Milo's is that uh... Milos? Milos. 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 Best best restaurant in North America, in my opinion. Wow. And, and it's you... a family place, Tony, all right? So it's in Midtown Manhattan, kind of near West Side, near uh, uh, the uh, Rockefeller Center. And um, in the evenings, you have these older gentlemen from the financial industry there, and they bring their nieces. I mean, okay. truly a family place. Are yeah. Are they Sometimes really they bring two nieces. Are they really their nieces? They look like their nieces. They're young. Okay. All right. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Favorite ice cream flavor? Honestly, it is vanilla. I know. <laughs> of Second is. best is Cherry Garcia because it's that chocolate and that cherry in there. All right. Now, now so you got a bowl of, of Cherry Garcia and a bowl of vanilla. You're you're going for the vanilla. Uh, I would choose vanilla first most of the time. Wow. That's inconceivable to me. I'm sorry. I like muddy. I like muddy ice cream, I guess, because I'm muddy. You know, <laughs> whatever works for you, my friend. Favorite my, color? My identity is your own. Yes. Favorite color? Favorite color? Probably blue. Okay. I'm glad you didn't say white because that just probably would have pushed oh, you over no, the edge. That, would, that <laughs> might put me over the edge. <laughs> Notre Dame versus Michigan. They're Michigan. playing in a football game for the national championship. Football, Michigan football, basketball, Notre Dame basketball. <laughs> okay. So. One more thing before we get to the electric chair. Uh, without divulging anything that would leave you vulnerable, why don't you just shout out a couple keywords or phrases for other guys in our league who may have listened to this point, and uh, I may want to ask them about a certain story. I know you. I know you got some dirt on some of those guys. What can you give away without mutually assured destruction? Uh well, to Mike Burton, who's no long, longer in the league, but is a mutual friend, her name was Connie. Okay. He'll know that story. All right. <laughs> um, Carl is the guy who um, rented his plasma. Rented um, plasma? His, his blood plasma or his TV? His, no, for that's how he paid for his beer, his <laughs> plasma donations. Okay. 
And uh, Mark, the physician, his nickname was Lance because he was six foot five, slender, handsome, and a doctor. Nice combination. I'd date him. And a great guy. And a great guy. Who married well above himself, Sharon. Yes, Sharon is far superior in virtually every way except perhaps height. Yeah, uh, I would agree. <laughs> She's also a much better dentist. Uh, yes, that's true. Any other? Uh, I don't know who else you may have went to school with. Or no, I didn't go to school with uh, the perennial, perennial professor, Doug Powell. Yeah. But he is one of the two smartest humans I know on the planet. Who's, okay, me and him? Uh, the other one is a person who actually lives in La Jolla. Oh, uh, is uh, a person of color. Wow, and runs a ad agency, and she is she she her father so was a professional football player. She's smarter than I am. Tony, you can't <laughs> buckle her shoes. I can buckle her shoes. With all Get due respect, I will buckle her shoes right now. I will there go to her go. house and well, give her a I'll, I'll give her a call. Have her drive out to uh, yes. No, no. I'll drive to La Jolla to buckle we'll those to shoes just, okay. just to prove a point. Very good. <laughs> uh, all right. So here it comes. You've committed a capital crime. You are strapped in. I call it the electric chair, but it's actually lethal injection. You get to watch a movie. While you watch this movie, you get a last meal. And then you put a song in the headphones and slide off into the abyss. What is the movie first? The movie first is Goodwill Hunting. Okay. What what's your uh, emotional investment in Goodwill Hunting? Uh I love the story of Matt Damon and Ben Affleck writing this story at Harvard. Uh, two working class Joes, one absolutely brilliant. I love the Robin Williams character. Yeah. And it's one of those movies that if you begin to see it on network TV, you can't not Right. Finish watching it. Okay. So while you're watching that, uh, what are you going to be eating? Well, since it's my last meal and carbs don't matter. Correct. Spaghetti and meatballs. Nice. And carrot cake. Okay. Any uh, any side dishes? Any anything to drink? Greek salad. Greek salad. Greek salad. Anything to drink? Uh, probably just a glass of Chianti. It pairs nicely. Okay. Uh, not your 87 Dom Pointo? What, what uh, it no, it, so my very favorite wine would be a 97 David Arthur Elevation 1147, which would pair okay with sta- uh, spaghetti and meatballs, but... But you, you, know, you don't want to... Right, yeah, that's, over, that's overkill. Well, that's I, it's not overkill if you're going to be killed. It's just, that's true. You know, it doesn't that's, fit with the situation in my head somehow. Fair enough. It's your, it's your head. Um, and then we're going to plug in the headphones before the injection. What are they playing? Bob Seger's Roll Me Away. Roll, roll me away. I want to roll me away tonight. Gotta keep rolling. Gotta keep riding. Keep searching till I find what's right. Roll me away. Now, that is appropriate, that, don't you think? It is. It is. It's, it's interesting to ask people that because some people do try and try and play something kind of statement-ish, final-ish, you know, indicative. Some people just pick a favorite song. Some people want to go out happy. Some people want to go out sad. 
some people try to find the longest song stairway to heaven is a nice confluence to those you know it's a long okay. song it's a good song and it's it's a poignant song stairway to heaven yeah. but roll me away is an outstanding roll me away is about human joy at simple things in life yeah you know i i attribute you to re-sparking my bob seeger fandom a few years ago you you had said or done something and I, you know what i gotta i gotta listen to a little more bob seeger again and because i've always liked him but you know the artists shuffle through your life and absolutely and absolutely. uh and well, so i have bob... listen to the michael stanley band okay all right start, I, I, start with uh north coast that'll be a lovely start all right north coast by the michael stanley band you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna put a little snippet of that right here in the podcast and Wonderful. that way when when you listen to it Perfect. so you have to you have to listen to it and you have to tell all your friends to listen to it i will certainly do that that will do it i appreciate the vip time coming away from your award circuit and uh crafting a little time for me and uh, it's been a great visit getting to know you a little better and hopefully this provides some insights into the business but more importantly into you so say good night to the folks jay good night all thanks and, uh, for listening Yes, and thanks thanks again for doing this. And we'll talk. I got to go, go through. You're supposed to be helping me with like 15 different things now um, that we we're going to talk about, including the shoe buckling in La Jolla. So yeah. I'll get I'll get on that shortly. Thanks, folks. That has All been right, Tony buddy. on the mic. Listen to the regular uh, recorded outro. Tony in the Mesa. The Mesa. Outro. 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 And that's going to do it for another episode of Tony on the Mic. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. I want to thank my guests. I want to thank my sponsors. And you can find more info and episodes at TonyOnTheMic.com. Tony on the Mic on Twitter, on TikTok, on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube. All these platforms are slowly becoming populated with quality entertainment products. So check it out. And tell your friends and click and like and subscribe and all that stuff. 